Gridbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Hello, this is international Catholic singer Anna Nuzzo, inviting you to join me and Father Dan Cambra of the Marian Fathers on a select international tour's Divine Mercy pilgrimage to Poland and the Czech Republic. It takes place in September of 2019, and we would love for you to join us. For more information, go to my website, AnnaNuzzo.com. Thank you, and God bless. Looking for the perfect First Communion, Confirmation, or RCIA gift? Consider a beautiful, heirloom-quality, made-in-Italy rosary from Ghirelli. A Ghirelli rosary will be prayed with and cherished forever, guaranteed. Shop Ghirelli today. That's G-H-I-R-E-L-L-I dot com. Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com, featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith, not just a profile picture. For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com, and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember, CatholicSingles.com, for faith, fellowship, and love. Hello again. This is Chuck Coughlin on Setting the Record Straight on Breakbox Media. This is part two of my podcast entitled Will Notre Dame de Paris Dissolve? And I thought it would be interesting to invite into my reflections a conversation with my son Dawson, my 14-year-old son, giving you a glimpse of the conversations that Dawson and I have frequently. Among other things, Dawson is extremely interested in the universe and in astrophysics, actually, as well as historical apologetics. If he has a specialty, it is astrophysics. And I learned a lot from him about that. I already spend all the time I have on my interest in music and historical apologetics, and I cannot keep up with him on astrophysics, because things are changing a lot. Things are changing. In conventions and conferences of physical sciences are becoming deists or theists, of course, the deist, as we said, is the person that believes that there was an intelligent Big Bang with a set of highly unlikely but very fortunate universal constants of matter and energy that make life possible, almost impossibly so, but possible and able to be sustained. But then there's also the other group that are saying that the universe is still being fine-tuned, being tweaked as it goes along. And those are the theists, who or whatever the intelligent designer is, he's paying attention and steering, fine-tuning, time, matter, and energy in the universe. It's worth suspecting that there is a fine-tuner, a theistic fine-tuner. How do you get from that to God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? That's a huge topic. We leave it for another day or another year, if that's adequate to really examine it. Referring back to a podcast I did on the, the Cloud of Annoying, a magnificent work written by an anonymous monk some hundreds of years ago, he addressed the 
He addressed the nature of time and man's relationship to time. And this circles around the notion that there's an end of time at the end of time. Time ends at the end of the world. So if there's no time, everything that happens will happen simultaneously. It's often said that God exists in eternity, but our world that we're in is a world of time. Listen to this very wise saying from the cloud of unknowing. Quote, man is not made for time, but time is made for man in order that cause and effect be possible. Now, please indulge me a little bit. Humor me. This is just a reflection on this but it has immense implications. So if we existed in a universe in which there was no time, no sequence of moments, there would be no such thing as free will because there would be no cause and effect. There would be no fall of Adam. There would be no opportunity for redemption. So time is made for man, but man may not be made for time. For perhaps, just perhaps, we're on our way, bound for a heaven, which is past time, and all things are present at one time, in the now. Perhaps this is God's plan. Put placing us in a part of the universe, or in the universe, where there is time, he's making time for us. But that doesn't mean, and the statement is very interesting, that man is not made for time. So what do you think about that statement? Let's bring Dawson in on this. Dawson, this is a 1,500-year-old statement. How does it strike you? Well, I think that it's it could be very true. I think that obviously man needs time to exist in the way that we perceive it. If there was no time, we would be in our current state and with our current abilities, frozen in place, incapable of doing anything forever. And so we need cause and effect that works down to the very subatomic level that time is necessary for anything that we understand to even move, to do anything. You need, above all, time. Yeah, now, uh, another listener's... We'll receive what we're saying in the spirit of two gentlemen who are most humble, knowing of our limits, knowing of our ignorance, but desiring to explore in discussion. Now, Dawson and I are well aware that we don't have any degrees in this area. We're not professionals. The progress that is being made by the physical sciences, by those that do, that those that are professional in this area. We keep up with them through reading, through YouTubes, Books and the internet, so much is available on the internet now. We have a sense of mankind's position and state of knowledge about this area. And one thing is very evident, that there's more, much more than we don't know every day than we knew the day before, because a lot of our suppositions have been false, like Newton's suppositions about matters and that they're created or destroyed. The thermodynamic laws. On the subject of Newton's propositions, this reminds me of something. Dawson, this year, came home from school and said they were studying Newton's law. And what did you raise your hand and say to the teacher? I asked her, if this is really so, then what about the creation of the universe? 
by this law, something could not come from nothing. And yet you and I sit here in this school building and speak about this because something has indeed come from in every way that we can see nothing. So I would ask her about that and black holes. Now, black holes possibly do not destroy matter, but store it or some people think that it's converted into a kind of information and that black holes store information of some sort. We really don't know much about I think you're just pointing out something that probably the teacher is aware of, that Newtonian physics, which has been so accepted so long, has been revealed to be only a very partial answer, that really the new physics, quantum physics, does not posit that matter cannot be created or destroyed. Right, Dawson? Yes, and it's perfectly understandable how Newton thought this, because here on Earth we don't have a local black hole, thank God, or a small universe that has created itself on Earth, these laws would most certainly seem to make sense. But when you reach out into some of the weird and wondrous places of the universe, you realize that we can't apply these kind of laws to anything out there because we have to redefine what we think of as physics Pretty much every time we make one of these discoveries, so... And and we're making our fanciful guesses here, but we understand that, that our limitations are here to accept them as two people who really understand that they're very ignorant about this. We're just, of what we know, this seems to be... Possible. As in recently now, all the scientists, there's huge rise in deists and theists, because they realize, wait a minute, this... Big Bang is science. It can't explain it, and they realize science can't explain how the laws of physics, something thought to be set in stone, are changing slightly to tweak and make changes to the universe in of itself. They, they can't explain that. So You know, when you walk away from the microphone, I'll be able to adjust the volume back up. But that's one reason for sitting down oh. to keep you aimed in one position Sorry. and one dynamic level. Uh, but you'd like to talk and, and pace, and that's the Socratic method, you know, incidentally, <laughs> is to walk around the Agora and talk. As a matter of fact, that's what they did. Socrates and his students, sort of an intellectual marathon. They didn't sit still, but their philosophies were articulated as they perambulated. So if you're wondering what the background noise is, that's Dawson pacing about as he talks. Dawson and I find this a lovely speculation that somehow the beauty and the pattern of Notre Dame de Paris will be rescued, perhaps by a kind of resurrection, a resurrection of an image. That that apex of beautiful achievement expressed in the Gothic cathedrals will not dissolve at the end of time, but be carried forth to be expressed again in another form, perhaps in heaven. Who knows? But let's talk a bit more about the pattern, Dawson. That somehow the beauty might travel with us as a God dream within us. Travel within us to heaven and be expressed there once again. Perhaps a continual expression of God's graceful beauty expressed through mankind. So Dawson and I sort of reflecting on what it means for time to end and for space to end. Or just go on expanding. 
So, Dawson, let's speculate a little farther. One more exotic thought, huh? If we, human beings, are each of us an individual pattern, but a pattern in the medium, like a wave is a pattern in the water, if the medium, for the wave it's the water, were to dissolve and all its bonds be severed, it doesn't mean that that pattern could not exist in something, uh, number one, in some new tuning of the old hydrogen and atom element, or an invention of a new medium. Or a totally different medium that we cannot even conceive of right now. Which is a material medium, and that wave could exist in that medium. And we, as a more complex wave, could exist in heaven in that same way. And that would be because we are promised life eternal. From what you know about physics, Dawson, does this seem possible? that there might be a heaven like that. Yes, it does. I think that without, in the current understanding of physics, which of course we have knowledge beyond that, our religious knowledge, but the current understanding of physics is that without a medium, a wave cannot exist because it is simply energy flowing through the medium. If the medium stops, the wave stops. Of course, if you introduce a new medium and re-input energy, with that same pattern, or if you simply, once again, my theory is, is God will set aside a little place, which he'll call heaven, and he'll stop the expansion there. We may, maybe he's already done that. Or maybe there's an entirely other universe. Maybe this Big Bang is one that he did, and then he's got some sort of pocket dimension that he has in heaven, which doesn't expand. No one really knows. So to curve this whole thread of discussion back to its beginning, the title of the podcast is Will Notre Dame du Paris Dissolve? Question mark. This is a very emotional thing, and we have emotion about this. Uh, we have emotion about each other. I don't want Dawson to dissolve and disappear, uh, but in a sense he will, in a sense he won't. We'll meet again in heaven in our glorified state, which that's interesting. That means we'll be in an altered state. Yet physical. Yet physical. I'm reminded of my realization in recent years of what a physical event Easter is. It's not just about the spirit, but primarily about Christ turning to earth, returning to earth for his physical body, for that particular set of atoms and compounds that make up his flesh and bones that he referred it to. So, and blood too. So where I'm going with this is this bring back to Notre Dame. We cannot view the end of even our beloved individuals, and especially the human race, without a lot of sad emotion. And as we watched Notre Dame burn, it was with great emotion, and many of us had tears in our eyes. Notre Dame partly dissolved, as it has, this is the third time in history. The first was uh, the Calvinists sacked and destroyed part of it. And then uh, during the French Revolution, they partly dissolved it again. And now fires partly dissolved it again from some unknown or accidental cause. Dawson, what I'm leading up to is that I'm going to refer this back to you. Here's my rather sentimental idea I know, and humbly presented by a layman. And I know you're well acquainted with this supposition. But not only will you, my friend Dawson, reemerge as a pattern in a medium, but perhaps Notre Dame de Paris will. 
Because Notre Dame is a dream of beauty, which is God-inspired. And it is in a particular instance or an iteration of itself that is affected by its Gothic times in which it emerged. So is there something else you'd like to say about this idea we've been tossing around today? In heaven. Well... Because of the beauty of its pattern. I'm sure God would be happy with that idea. It was indeed a temple to him. And you don't have to go into theoretical physics to know that Notre Dame is is not completely destroyed. After all, even when you come back down to earth from our deep speculation that we have in this podcast and our deep theories and thoughts and such, there are many pictures which inspire hope. For instance, after the fire... There's a picture of where, in this destroyed and burned-out building, there's this enormous cross sitting there, untouched, golden beaming. And think about it. They saved certain relics, which I think may have been saved by miracles. For instance, the crown of thorns is some, I can imagine, dry things like twine, which would be incinerated in such an... Inferno, but no. It was completely fine. Someone saved it. The cloak of... Who was it again? Uh, Louis the Ninth, King of France. In any case, that... Yeah, this cloak is... I think we all know... And a crown. Cloaks burn. It didn't. Well, there's a hero priest. Yes, the priest... But but any any hero priest is a miracle in himself. But still, think about it. It's amazing. And the superstructure of Notre Dame is not destroyed. Thank you for your thoughts, Dawson. They're much appreciated. A few more thoughts. Notre Dame de Paris should be restored. Millions of euros are being donated even now. But restored to what? Some fear what form the restoration might take. Are we restoring it because it's old? Because not to do so would be to surrender to the barbarians because the building is as important as a tourist attraction. Notre Dame de Paris is the property of the French government. The French government is very secular, and the restoration will be driven by secularists. There is the French law of December 9, 1905, on the separation of church and state. The law put an end to the funding of religious groups by the state. The state agreed to such funding in the law of 1905 is compensation for the French Revolution's confiscation of church properties, properties from which the church would have been able to fund itself. At the same time, it declared that all religious buildings were property of the state and local governments. The government put such buildings at the disposal of religious organizations at no expense to these, provided they continue to use the buildings for worship purposes. While the law's explicit contention was to deny any state-sanctioned religion, its effectual end was the crippling of the Catholic religion as an institutional force in public life by denying it or any other religion government funding. The Church of France long ago was stripped of all her property, is barely tolerated in her religious edifices, and has only a precarious enjoyment of them. On the other hand, since ecclesiastical authority has forbidden the only kind of corporations which the states recognized as authorized to collect funds for the purpose of worship. The church has no means of ordinary needs of public worship. 
Thus the churches of France live from day to day. Neither the parish nor the diocese can own any fund, however small, which the parish priest or the bishop is free to hand down to his successor. All this because the state stubbornly insists that only, quote, associations, in their very narrow definition of association, shall be clothed with the right of ownership for pauper, of ownership for the purposes of worship. So we should watch carefully about just what sort of Notre Dame de Paris reopens and for what purposes. And is it to be designated as it was in the past, a temple of reason or a temple to God? The government will control the renovation because it's their property, though no doubt with advice from the Catholic Church. Catholicism has been on the retreat for a long time in France. It would be right to mourn if the cathedral were left in ruins. The facade was left in ruins for some decades in the 19th century, after many of its statues were beheaded during the revolution. But if we're restoring it because it's an artwork on the basis of beauty, then the cathedral would be little more than a museum. When Henry Adams visited Chartres in the 19th century, he looked up at the windows and saw Our Lady and said she looked down from a deserted heaven into an empty church on a dead faith. Well, much has changed in the church since Adams took his tour of northern France in quest of the Virgin. The Cathedral of Notre Dame at Reims was bombed more than once in the First World War, yet it opened its doors again in 1938 after extensive renovations. The will to rebuild Paris's Notre Dame is clearly there. The question is for whom? These cathedrals were built, in this case, in the honor of the Mother of God, and to, and to provide a sacred space in which Mass can be heard, which the Eucharist and the transubstantiation take place. In medieval times, Paris didn't need a beautiful cathedral for tourists. What they wanted was a beautiful cathedral for the sake of worship. They wanted a building as beautiful as the Virgin, in whom the maker of all things had taken his rest. They wanted a building as beautiful as Mary, as Mary, the living temple of God. The Psalms were sung there daily as part of her office. Mary was the mother of the Lord who made the heavens and earth, Psalm 8, and the bridegroom who set his tabernacle in the sun, Psalm 18. Ah, the daily liturgies. Mary was the ark, bearing the presence of the Lord in the Holy of Holies, Psalm 23. Mary was the queen standing beside the throne of the Lord on his wedding day, Psalm 44. Mary was the tabernacle sanctified by the Most High as his dwelling place, Psalm 45. Mary was the wood from which the Lord reigned, Psalm 95. The cloud, throne, lightning, and glory upon which the Lord rode, Psalm 96. All this was to be sung in the cathedral. Great was the music to be made, for through her all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God, Psalm 97. It wasn't the building of stone, glass, and wood that mattered, and of course, as you well know, it was the worship. It was the worship that was being offered up inside. Which is why when cathedrals caught fire, as they regularly did, medieval Catholics took it as an opportunity to develop the skills they needed in order to rebuild. If the craftsmen of the Middle Ages 
to figure out how to make glass and carve stone. Surely we must have the ability to do so again. We have the medieval exemplars on which to model their work. All we need is the will to praise God. But we must face the fact that the building is not ours. It belongs to France. In closing, I want to say that what Dawson and I were speculating, and we do believe it's true, is yes, we will dissolve. Notre Dame de Paris will be dissolved in its one particular iteration of the God dream of a Gothic cathedral when the earth is consumed with fire. But as we are an image of God in all beauty, especially the Gothic cathedrals, are images of God's dreams of beauty passed through our souls into our hands and into reality over and over again, but realized again and again. And perhaps that will be one of our great joys in heaven is to entertain God with God-inspired, human-produced beauty. It's nice to think that way. In the meantime, here on earth, we should prepare ourselves to lose everything we love, but know with faith we will find what we love waiting to meet us again in the heart of God. This is Chuck Coughlin on Setting the Record Straight on breadboxmedia.com. Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com. CMF Curo is the country's first Catholic health care ministry to provide an affordable health sharing solution rooted in Catholic teaching and community. Learn more at MyCatholicHealthCare.com slash podcast. That's MyCatholicHealthCare.com slash podcast.